Welcome to Living Martial Arts with Master Ray Gale, aka The Dark Master. Living Martial Arts discuss and examines the everyday exercise, philosophy, and lifestyle of the martial arts enthusiast. The host talks about his own training, past and present, and he also interviews many martial artists to discover how they continue to live their own martial arts journey. Tune in for top tips on how to get the best out of your martial art. Or perhaps you're thinking of starting a martial art. This podcast offers you an easy way to dip your toe in. Sign up for the newsletter at livingmartialarts.com and get regular updates and training tips direct to your inbox. Follow the Dark Master on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Living Martial Arts. Hi, um, welcome to the Living Martial Arts podcast with me, the Dark Master. I have a magnificent, magnificent uh, podcast that I've been looking forward to and so excited uh, to have two um, of my favourite people on the podcast. Uh, first of all, as most of you probably listen from Pumal, know Master O, and um, uh, he's with us. How are you doing, Master O? Very well, sir. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And also, we have a real treat. We have uh, uh, Mr. Ralph Minot, who is probably one of the nicest guys to ever put on a WT or an ITF Taekwondo uh, Dobok. Um, and he's got massive experience in uh, both the fields of WT and also ITF. Uh, so, Ralph, how are you doing? Great. Good to speak to you guys. Excellent. Excellent. As I said, I've been looking forward to this uh, to this podcast because um, you know, a lot of our people listening here will be Puma members. They've never had any experience of uh, WTF and also, um, you know, probably the changes that have happened in WTF. But also, uh, it's, it's great to speak to you, Ralph, because uh, you've been in both camps, the WTF and the ITF, and, you know, you still currently teach uh, Taekwondo, so you've got a lot of experience in those areas. But, um, I mean, what I always try and start with, and um, uh, I'm sure Master will have loads of questions for you as well, uh, I always start with people's story, really, um, and I know your story will incorporate, you know, your WTF and your ITF, but, um, you know, perhaps just, uh, you know, let the audience know how you got into martial arts and, you um, um, you know, the, 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 some of the early parts of your journey, really. Yeah, I think um, it's quite interesting because you people walk through your door and, you know, these days you've got no idea about what they did. But in the days when we did martial arts, it was this intriguing thing that people did. And I was interested in sport, never good at sport as a kid. And, you know, as a kid who grew up in the in the 60s and 70s, they were simple sports. You played football in the winter or you played cricket and we didn't play rugby. So, you know, the, the rugby that was around in my day was rugby league and it used to be on telly on a Saturday afternoon. So, you know, I either played football or I played cricket and I was useless at both. And at school, we had to do athletics because that's what happened at sports and what used to happen was I used to just get picked for the last position in anything. So, you know, cricket, I used to keep, I used to have to do wickets. And I used to do wickets because we used to have the most fantastic Asian bowlers that used to, you know, have like 100 yard run ups.
froze a bit there. Are we back? Are we back? We froze a little bit. Are we back? Are we back? I'm here. Are we back? Yeah. Oh, Ralph's frozen a little bit. Yeah, he has, hasn't he? <laughs> I don't know, we've got a bit of a, a malfunction here, so hopefully, hopefully one second, let me just pause this. Oh, hi, right, we had a little bit of a break there, we lost the signal from uh, from Ralph, but he's back again, uh, and he was talking about, he was just giving us an overview on um, his uh, sporting uh, highlights at school and the, the fact that he played cricket with uh, a lot of really good uh, Asian cricketers, so go for it, Ralph. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, and because um, I was a, like, a boy in the 60s and 70s, and our school was a massive football school. Everybody was great at football. And so even though we played football, I just never made a team. So I never made the team unless I was a reserve or the last person picked. You know, basketball, I was the sixth person to be picked for the team. And yeah. and then um, from the age of 13, I was desperate to be a quantity surveyor, which just happened out of the blue something that I really fancied doing and I ended up going to Trent Polytechnic as it was there then now Trent University to study quantity surveying my lifetime dream as a kid and at, at Polytechnic or at uni you have these clubs that you join on Freshers Week and at Freshers Week I had this idea that I was going to try martial arts and the reason I was going to try martial arts was because in my sixth form there was a kid who used to call Scooby-Doo who did Waterloo, and you know, we used to walk around the sixth form um, room and be doing hand moves and stuff like that. And it was just that intrigue at the time of Scooby Doo doing Waterloo, <laughs> everybody getting into all night kung fu movies because you used to be able to go to the cinema and watch kung fu movies all night. Yeah, yeah we used to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Bruce, that. Lee, Bruce Lee was the big thing at the time, and I just thought actually it's quite intriguing. And I had a mate who did Taekwondo, and I had no idea we did WTF Taekwondo, I just knew we did Taekwondo, and I had no idea about anything to do with it, about grades or what he did, just that he did Taekwondo, a guy called Andy Lam. And um, oh, yeah, I, just, I, I just kind of thought, well, there's a, if there's a Taekwondo club, I'll join it. So because he did Taekwondo, I thought, but I'm going to try the Waterloo Club first, because Scooby-Doo was obviously some kind of Kung Fu genius. Karate genius. So I went to the Waterloo stand on Freshers Week and it was just empty. There was nobody there. Yeah. And across the other side of the hall at the Taekwondo stand was, it was just rammed. So I went over to Taekwondo and ended up joining and just loved Taekwondo. And it was WTF Taekwondo. And actually at the time when you join, you don't really know whether you, what you're doing. I was just doing Taekwondo as far as I was concerned. No idea that there was any difference. And, you know, it's probably, you know, I had to be a red belt by the time I started to appreciate reading magazines that there were other kinds of Taekwondo around. And I I used to watch, actually, the UKTA, as they were at the time, team squad training and watching all the boys that became, you know, close buddies of mine and yours as we yeah, joined yeah. up. Yeah. And so... um that was it, really. I was doing Taekwondo. I was training every hour God sends doing it. I loved it to death. And I also joined, as well as the Trent Poly Club, I joined the Nottingham Taekwondo Club, which was run by a guy called Dave Hetherington, who was a Taekwondo guy, plastic, got his black belt in the forces, came to Britain with Dan Grades, 
um, at the same time that Ricky Hall was into into Britain, bringing new Taekwondo on. So you had this guy, my boy, my guy, who was a legend in his in our area, and he was doing WTF Taekwondo, but he'd learned ITF Taekwondo in the forces. So we right. did ITF patterns, and WTF was was our sport. We did WTF sparring. So when I started sparring, which was at the Nottingham Club, I'd put body armour on, no no hand protection, no feet protection. That was it. You yeah, couldn't yeah. punch to the face. You had to kick to the head. That's all I knew. And But we didn't do much sparring. Yeah, yeah. So I, I trained technically, learned all the ITF patterns up to Chummu, but my Taekwondo moves and fighting was WTF. Yeah, yeah. And then I got my black belt after three years with this guy with a few double gradings on the way because I was just mad for it. And when I got my black belt, literally two months after getting my black belt, the UKTA came to Nottingham to open. Right. And, and I went to a demo up the road from where I trained my Taekwondo. And I thought, what's this UKTA Taekwondo? And uh, the guy that was who was bringing the club was a guy called Tom Zuzer, who you all know. Yeah. And uh, the late Tom Zuzer, who was one of the Derby Mafia, Bob Harvey's Mafia, um, he came... And they did this demonstration, which was just the most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen. You know, I'd watch movies and I'd watch people like Bruce Lee, but I watched real people smashing bricks like it was a demolition job. It was just incredible. It was like a demolition scene. Yeah. And then they put this sparring equipment on with gloves and feet, and Tony Saw was one of the people there, and they were sparring. It was really quick and punching each other in the face. And I just thought, this is fantastic. And, but I did, you know, I kind of didn't know it. So at the end of it, I went into the bloke who was running it. And I said, look, um, you know, I do Taekwondo. Is there any chance I could come along? And he said, look, what did you do? I said, I do uh, WTF Taekwondo. And he said, well, you know, if you buy a license, get a suit, um, you know, and listen to what we're doing and, and respect it, you're welcome to join. So at that time, I was just doing both. Yeah, I was yeah. doing two or three days WTF. And a couple of days ITF at the same time, oh, and, and that was it really. And yeah, I didn't yeah. think anything. I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. And then you know the TAGB formed. Uh, Derby moved into the TAGB, so I was with you know all the old Derby guys who moved over. Bob Harvey, Brian Tandro, everybody who moved over. Isaac Carey, all those boys in the good old days. Mm. And I was just a black belt training ITF Taekwondo and doing WTF as well at the same time. And yeah. not thinking anything of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's it's interesting. I, I just want to come back to a couple of things you said at the beginning about. Uh, well, the first thing was about being good at sports, and it's interesting because I've I've met a number of of uh, taekwondo people. I've trained a couple some people who have been really good at taekwondo but could do nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> I've got what I, I remember. Um, it was Master Donnelly actually, Master Paul Donnelly. I remember him see, seeing him trying to kick a football. <laughs> and, he, and he couldn't do it. I was thinking, wow, you know, for, 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 for a guy that talented, he can't kick a ball. I find it really strange. Um, but on the other hand, I will say that um, uh, Master will probably deny this, but uh, I think he was a better sportsman uh, than me, actually. I think he was uh, cricket, football. I think he was a bit more an all-rounder. I, I, always, I always did well at sport because I was very competitive. And I just 
tried as hard as I could at everything I could um, <laughs> uh, to, to be good. But um, that, that was the first thing. Uh, the second thing was um, you mentioned um, uh, Andy Lamb uh, yeah. as well. And I, I remember him really well. Um, yeah. Because I fought him a couple of times, and I thought, "Wow, yeah. this this guy's really good." Yeah, I, was yeah, quite, yeah. I was actually quite, I was actually quite glad when he disappeared because I thought, "Wow, he's, <laughs> he's not anybody." So that that's real. We'll ask anything there. Yeah. Well, I think the, the biggest thing that, we, that that Rolf hasn't alluded to is that he he represented Great Britain at the Olympics in Korea, which is unbelievable achievement, which I'm very jealous of, and I imagine a lot of other Taekwondo people around the UK would be licking their lips wanting to know how you got into <laughs> it and what was it like and did you wear the hat and uh, I think there's a great picture of you and the great Hank Mayer as well with his blazer on and you've got your uh, Olympic uh, Great Britain and Northern Ireland blazer on. Um, come on, yeah, tell I mean, us all about it, that because that, that's yeah, really... I think, I well, well, that, just, just, sorry, sorry just, just, be, just before you answer that one and just, just to say to... to the audience out there that uh, bear, bearing in mind that that time uh, WTF and ITF were either ends of the spectrum um, in the way that they were and the way that they're thinking. I think, I think that's quite um, an important point actually at this moment, because when you look at them now, they're a bit closer together, but sorry, carry on Ralph, carry on. Yeah. I, I mean, I, first of all, I think that's a, that's a, that's a really important point to make. I mean, if you, you know, they both take one but for me, they're like, I, I talk to them like, um, you know, badminton and tennis. Rugby they're league, rugby like, union. The, yeah, rugby league, rugby union is a great example. They, they're both the same sport, but technically they are poles apart. Yeah. You know, and, and you just couldn't, the, the idea that one person does something and at the same time they can be the top of their country or the world or European or whatever. In the same sport is just impossible. It just wouldn't happen, you know. And yeah, people yeah. do transition between sports, but you know, a lot more people we see, and it is, but it's still unique in percentage terms. He's probably talking less than one percent who transfer between league and union rugby. Mm. And you know, I don't know if anybody transfers between badminton and tennis. And and that's the that was our difference. It was, yes. and. You know, and I used to, because I'd started with WTF and I'd um, started to train with the ITF quite early because I got my black belt in 80, 81. But in 82, I was already a British champion in WTF. In 83, I then started to do this ITF competition. And I come to ITF competition and you know, you Ray, um, Ron Sergio, Arjit Singh, all of those guys were in what was lightweight, which was 64 kilos. In WTF, I fought at 58, yeah. which was 12 pounds lighter than that. Yeah, yeah. And and that was week in, week out. So one Saturday I'd be fighting WTF, and the next Saturday I'd be fighting somebody 12 pound heavier who was punching full power to the head, where the rules of semi-contact, as I thought it was. You know, I had more broken noses <laughs> and injuries in ITF than in my whole time of 10 years fighting WTF. It just didn't happen. You know, I just didn't get injured. I had a foot injury once, and we were kicking full power barefoot. 
But other than that, but, you know, I had so many painful experiences fighting ITF because it was that hard. Mm. I, but I, you know, I just was so, so determined to learn how to do it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was really lucky that, um, you know, a squad training that I used to, t- I, in 1985, Dave Oliver said, you need to come to squad training. And I'd seen Kenny Walton at the tournament and he said, you need to come to squad training. And Dave said, well, before you come to squad training, come to Warwick. And we train at Warwick on a Friday night. So he said, you come to Warwick on a Friday night and we'll teach you how to fight points fighting as well. So I'm a WTF guy. And in WTF, in those days, it was about one point for everything. A kick to the head was one point. A kick to the body was one point. You got no points unless the judge saw the body move. So somebody's head had to move with a kick for you to score a point. And if you knock somebody out in a three, three-minute round, you'd won. So, you know, if you could knock somebody, if you're going to fight six times in a day and you could knock four people out in the first or second round, it was fantastic because you'd saved your energy for a tournament. Mm. And in 1981, I'd just got my black belt. And um, my instructor said, look, you haven't done much sparring. You want to try it. Just go to a tournament. So we went to the uh, a championship at Copeland School in North London, which turned out to be a selection championship for the Ecuador Games, which were in 83 or 84. And I just thought it was a tournament. And I just fought in the tournament. And uh, after the first fight, I thought, actually, I quite get this. And this was WTF, body armour. And I was just dropping people. And... You know, and it, and it wasn't that difficult. People were hitting me and I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is quite painful. But I was kicking people. And for my weight, 58, I was just dropping people. And got to the semi-final and thought, crikey, this is interesting. And ended up fighting a guy called Sean Daly, who I still think is one of the greatest WTF technicians ever. And that's looking at everybody that I've seen post my competition watching all the great people that have, you know, donned a suit. And there have been some fantastic people in the last games that I really admired watching. But in terms of people who could deliver super techniques and knock people out, and I very rarely see people get knocked out these days, even though the rules allow you to get knocked out, yeah. you don't see it. People who could deliver speed and knockout. He was just unbelievable, this guy. And I ended up fighting him in the semifinals, and it was a draw. At the end of the draw, they would make the referee would make a decision. It didn't like go to extensions. It would the referee would make a decision, and they made the decision, gave it to him. And I just thought oh, that's quite interesting. Ended up with a rubbish little medal. And then after the tournament, somebody said, "You don't know that this is a selection championship for a world championship." And that was just it. It kind of spurred me on. And you know, within months of that, I was the British champion, and that was it. So you got a guy who's a British champion in WTF. And most things, you know, I was picking up medals or winning and going to ITF tournaments and getting battered. I was going to UKTA, getting battered. And it was probably 1985 before I won a trophy at a tournament. And as soon as I started winning trophies, and that was no secret that I was training at Warwick on a Friday night, learning how to point spar, learning how to fight against your Mick Keos and your Steve Merricks and Dorian Bytons and all those guys were down there. And learning how to point fight, 
then going into freestyle because TJB was then going to freestyle karate and fighting anybody. So you start to learn how to fight. You start to learn ring craft. You start to learn how to use your hands and feet. You start to learn how, you, how your movement works. I then really started to use my WTF, you know, back leg kicking, ring movement, footwork, you know, spinning. I used a lot of WTF with ITF hands and created the style that started to really start being successful in ITF fighting. And it was easy for me then because all I was doing with fighting ITF was switching in hands. And when I fought WTF, stop using my hands. That was it. Other than that, simply keeping simple things. And I was able to kick hard in the UK today, back in those days. People used to kick hard. And you never used to get warned, you know. And and it was, you know, if I fought Paul Tarn, it was either him getting disqualified or me surviving. So, you know, you had to kick hard. So in those days... I was able to use WTF in a traditional way in ITF fighting. It was great. Yeah. And, you know, it got to probably 88. And between 86 and 88, I think it was about 86, they announced the Olympic Games was in Seoul, Korea. The home country can select a sport that goes on to their, what they call their uh, demonstration program. And the demonstration, you compete exactly the same but the medals just don't go on the final medal tally. Yeah, yeah. And so we knew that it was going to be in as demonstrators, but we had no idea that what that meant. We thought we'd have to pay for everything. And, you know, that's what we thought. So, you know, all the time I've always worked, I was in construction and the construction firm I worked for, I had to apply to get four weeks off holiday to go to Olympic Games in the, in the hope that I got picked. And between 86 and 88, there was like a selection, three or four selection championships. And what happened was the weights that went were the most successful WTF weights, um, male only, that WTF UK had achieved in world events, international events. And my weight division, 58 kilos, was one. The next weight division, um, Above it, which was featherweight, was one. The weight division below it, which Andy Lamb used to fight in, which was fin or flyweight, was one. And uh, middleweight, I think, was the, they were the four weights out of all the weights. Yeah. And, and you have to remember, at that time, the person that will never be remembered, but is probably the greatest because of the world medals that he'd achieved in a WTF form that was really tough. There's a guy called Lindsay Lawrence. Yes. So I'm sure oh, he's yeah, still, yeah. Out, still out there. Yeah, I remember. And, yeah. You know, and this guy had won silver and bronze medals at two or three world championships. Mm-hmm. Um, but he fought Welter, and Welter wasn't, no, notwithstanding the fact that he'd got those medals, Welter wasn't picked as a consistent winning division by the career and wasn't one of the teams, one of the weight divisions that went. Yeah, yeah. So, I knew I was. I knew that to win, I'd have to win over all these four four tournaments. And the guy that I that was probably the toughest guy to beat was a guy called Mark Richardson. By then, yeah, who you yeah. guys yeah. remember, who yeah. used to yeah. be ITF. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, yeah. Came from, he went the other way. He came from ITF yeah. in about eighty three, eighty four into yeah. WTF when Tom Wenshin moved over. That's right. And he was unbelievable. And he was mm-hmm. the opposite. He, was he, had he still is, he still leg. is. Yeah, incredible mm. foot leg, incredible yeah. kicking ability, great fighting spirit. 
Well, and, can, can, can I just say on that one, Rod? Just sorry, there. Yeah. It's interesting because once again, I, I remember being a black belt and watching him as a red belt, thinking, "Wow, this guy's going to come up and he's going to be." <laughs> and when he got when when he obviously got his back, he disappeared. I thought well, disappeared. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where did he go? He obviously went to WCF at yeah. that time. Very friendly, so, very, very friendly guy as well, wasn't he? Nice, yeah. nice man. Yeah, still yeah. sort of uh, in, I know of of him and what he's up yeah. to through. Um, our martial arts dealerships, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah he, great he, name. He was, it was just unbelievable, and he had, and he had a group of unbelievable fighters. Yeah, and he was one of these trainers who was just merciless. I mean, he, you know, people like Paul Green, who's one of the greatest WTF people to pour, came out of his camp. The Green brothers were his kids who came out, went on, and did great things. Yeah, he was just unbelievable. And I remember me and him used to have a dust up all the time. It used to always used to be me and him in the finals. And, you know, but you used to have, three, like in the days when we used to fight, you used to have three or four people, David Bailey and people like that who were great fighters. And you had to beat some tough people to get there. So I think in these four tournaments, he won one, I won one. We, we then had um, a, like a, 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 a event where I think he got injured, but I got second place or something like that. Right. And then the final one, the points, where the points worked, whoever won it would have got. And and I beat him, you know, and that was against the odds because he was technically better than me. And, you know, he was just the star. And so for for me beating him, and and the, the thing that was difficult was by 88, Everybody in WTF knew I was fighting in ITF as well because I was then scoring and winning and, and you know, in combat magazine and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So there was a bit of a foray about letting a guy who was doing ITF go. But my coach at the time was a guy called Ray Lightfoot, late Ray Lightfoot, who was an England team, ex-England team fighter, international referee, really strong guy from Mansfield, um, tough cookie. He just beat the table and said, you know, justice is here. You set the rules. The guy's won. He's got to go. And that was it. You know, you get your letter. Right. You get a letter from the Olympic Committee saying you've been picked to go to Olympic Games. And, and the letter basically invites you to go to Olympic headquarters and collect all your equipment. And the Olympic headquarters in those days used to be in Wandsworth, where it's now in Loughborough. Yeah. And I remember catching the train to London turning up at Olympic, handing my letter over, and somebody saying, great, oh, you need to just go round the back, take a suitcase, and just go round and fill it. And, you know, I just filled my suitcase with <laughs> England, Great Britain gear, blazers, tracksuits, trainers, everything. And, you know, suddenly you're walking around with a massive suitcase, and it's real. And I turned up at my mum's, opened this suitcase, and said, Mum, look at this. It's real. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and it was just, it was, it was, you got to think that this was the first time that WTF ended up on the Olympic stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you know, if you've you know, Olympic Games we see on television and behind the scenes, you got to think, you get an invitation. It says, right, you need to be at Ethereum Airport on such and such a day. You're flying out. That's all you know. So I turn up, meet my, my my other Taekwondo pals, and there was us four fighters. There was my great pal Gary Sykes, who was the assistant coach, and the guy Tony Tony Slaney, who was the brother of 
Mary Decker's lady, the runner. Right. And uh, he he was the team manager. And we had a doctor who was assigned to us from the Olympic uh, medical team. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we flew out. That was our team. And there was me. There was Chris Sawyer, Fort Middleway. In fact, no, we had a light heavy. Chris Sawyer was a uh, lightweight, I think it was called, which was above welter. And then we had a middleweight, guy called uh, Dave. Uh, Dave, whatever his name, Dave. Then we had the little guy, me, and a guy called Seal and Rengus Army. So there was five of us who fought. Yeah, yeah. And Dave Fraser was the middleweight. And um, <clears throat> we arrived at, Olymp- at uh, the airport. I remember driving down to the airport and thinking I'll park my car. And turned up at the airport, and it was, in those days, £6 a day. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to be out for a month. So I've got 28 days. And I'm thinking, Jesus, my car's going to cost like 150, 200 quid to leave my car. I was driving around trying to find somewhere to park it. And in the end, just abandoned it. And Sela Mengus Army's brother had dropped him off, had come to the airport with him on the train. And I said, can you drive? He says, yeah. And I said, well, do you want to take my car? And so he took my car. <laughs> and then we, we just got, got to the plane. And then when you got to the plane, the heroes just just hanged you say, right, you go there. And we were in the jumbo jet in the bubble. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. wow. So yeah. we were in the jumbo jet in the bubble in first class. first class, class isn't it? That's and, the first and the, class there. the whole plane, the only people on the plane were GB Olympic athletes. Right. That was wow. it. You know, then you realise you've made it. You know, you're sitting there, you've got, you know, Seb Coe, Steve Cram. Peter Elliott, Linford Christie, you know, that they're the people that are sat around the plane, you know, and it That's was, brilliant. we were in the bubble with the three-day eventers. So yeah. you had Mark Phillips, Princess Anne's husband was That's there, right. and, you know, right. people like that. It was just right. totally bonkers. I could listen to that all day because I, I think, you know, as a Taekwondo martial artist and sports person i just um i remember watching the uh the demonstration it was on live yeah that's right. I thought, yeah. oh my Absolutely god right. yeah and, it was fabulous i was trying to try so i could see anybody on there but obviously it was uh <laughs> yeah and, and the demonstration the korean people they did it they did it twice so they did a dress rehearsal for all the korean people to come and see it because on the day Clearly, only the wealthiest people can buy tickets to get in on the opening ceremony, can't they? So on the day when they did the demo, we actually went and watched it. So on the day when you're in it, you're ending up in a separate field waiting to walk on. Then when you walk on and you miss all the stuff that happens beforehand, but we'd seen it because we did it. We went to watch the dress rehearsal with the Korean people, which was just unbelievable. And, and, you know, doing Taekwondo and being in South Korea, and being a WTM, it was like being a celebrity. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Everywhere yeah, yeah. we went, yeah, we yeah. were just celebrities. Just unbelievable. Well, I, I think we told, we told that story. I think we met, we told you before, Alf, about we went to um, to Korea for the ITF World Championships. Yeah. Yeah. For, they call it the homecoming because it was the ITF. Yes. It? And we went to local um, shops 
and we had our Great Britain tracksuits on, and we were followed yeah. by, I don't know, yeah. 40, 50 children following us. Yeah. And I had a haircut at the time, a little bit like David Beckham, and they thought I was <laughs> David Beckham. I mean, I'm the last person. <laughs> Ray looks more like David Beckham than I do. <laughs> and they were, they were like, oh, it's just amazing. But because... And, and also, you know, the banknotes have got Dosan in. Yes. That's you right. know, your yeah. gock on them. It was just yeah. amazing. If you spoke to anybody, most people don't really speak English, but over there, or even when we were there. Uh, but if they, the odd person did, you started talking to them. Oh, you had a big yeah. crowd of people around you. Back oh, knowledge totally, of Korean yeah. history totally. and Taekwondo. Yeah. You know, the current, the currency of Korea is Taekwondo. Yeah, just yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, it, well it, it, it was massive. I mean, what, what, what I will say is that that 88 World Championships were, was a huge, huge thing, huge platform for Taekwondo. Um, yeah. Not not just WTF Taekwondo at that time, but certainly ITF Taekwondo um, yeah. as, well, as well, because it got the name Taekwondo out there, which which actually, um, a- after the Olympics, you know, everybody knew what Taekwondo was, you know, and, and they knew where it came from. So it was, it, it was that for me, that year, if you remember, the Olympic Games was, was September through to October. So we flew out on like 3rd or 4th of September and we were there till like 2nd of October. But in the July, the TAGB hosted the first Open World Championships. Yes. Yeah. And the lightest weight division was 57. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I mean, obviously I'm training every single day for two years, twice a day, to be an Olympian. Mm-hmm. And that was great for me being able to fight ITF as well because I was in great shape and I thought I'd do this tournament make sure I don't get the thing was not to get injured but I'll do the July World Champs just like as part of my Olympic preparation so it wasn't that I was under pressure and if you remember the team in the first World Champs were all heavyweight so it was little guys yeah, we, yeah, didn't yeah. A, we didn't get a look in. You know, no, Mark and his... Yeah. Mark, well, you weren't good. It's because you weren't good enough. Were there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we were thrown under the bus, that's right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest, I was in that team. What a team we had. Right. It, was, it, it was an awesome team. It, was an it awesome just team. smashed everybody all the way yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just, you know, and, and you look back to that. It was the greatest, you know, we had some fantastic times yeah. as a mixed weight team. Yeah, yeah. But the most amazing Taekwondo you've ever seen is those teams that TGB put together. They were oh, just, mm. nobody could beat them, could they? No, they were just it was unbelievable. Yeah. We had middleweights through to heavyweights who could yeah. kick, who could move, who could do anything. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Well, well, yeah. Well, every, I, every weight divi- every weight division had about four international yeah. fighters that could, you know, boss anybody, you know, and on the open circuit as well, of course. Yeah, dead well. It, it, it was it was a it was a great tournament. And um, you know, I, I, I was really, really um well, well I wasn't upset, I was actually quite um I was okay, but I, I got beaten in the um uh semi-finals by Ron Sergi. Um, oh wow and, and it went it went to some extensions. I I remember looking at the floor, thinking, "I've got this, I've got this," and then his hand. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> but but actually, I was I was happy. I was happy uh, for all the all the people within the TGB at that time. Yeah, we, we had we had some awesome fighters. Um, you know, it, it was just amazing. And I think our strength in depth. I, d- I don't I don't know if it's ever certainly from an ITF point of view for one team has ever been equal. I don't I don't know if it. Ever no, was. I don't. I don't. And and you know, and also you've got to think that event 
probably had 3,000 spectators, you know, and it was just, yeah. it was, it was, it was a standout event in yeah, martial arts. It was. And, you know, it was. And, yeah. and because 58, it was 57 was the lightest weight. Mm. Yeah. And because I was making 58 every Saturday for WTF, yeah. I was making 57. So I made 57. Mm. And I was just entering, you know, India one round, Holland next round, Germany next round. And I was just creeping through the rounds, five or six fights. And then um, ended up in the final, fighting a Dutch guy, you know, from nowhere. And mm. and for me, it's still the hardest lesson learning where tactically that I just played it wrong. I played a WTF-styled fight against a guy who I should have been dropping hands on. Yes. And yeah. ended up losing the final. Tried, you know, and, and and kind of, I was quite philosophical about it because I still had Olympic Games to go to. Mm -hmm. But I, I got back for Olympic Games in October, quite dejected because we all went out semi-finals or earlier than that. Sorry, quarterfinals or earlier. And looking at the professionalism and the standards that people were going to, you know, it was professional WTF and, and UK didn't move to being a professional WTF until, you know, mid to late 2000s. But, yeah, you know, yeah. back then, other countries, Turkey, Korea, Denmark, you know, they were just professional WTF people. And it just, I was so despondent about it and thought, mm. I'm going to put my mind, having done so well in the World Championship, Open World Champs, try and put my mind to ITF. And literally, Two weeks after I got back from Olympic Games, I got a phone call from Dave Oliver. And Dave Oliver rang up. He said, Ralph, you know, you couldn't work on a Friday, but you were the, like the highest place guy in under 57. Do you want to come to Germany for a well, tournament? Oh, yeah. And that was yeah. it. And, you know, and that, and that was my first call up to TGB. And I thought, you know, it was this world which I lived in when WCFI used to have a, a first aid kit that had everything in it. I used to take track suits. I used to have my sweatsuits to warm up, to stand in the sauna and lose. But I used to have everything. And I remember turning up at Birmingham Airport with a with a full bag. And Dave Oliver threw a bag at me, and it was just full of stuff. Yeah, it had suits in, it had a track yeah, suit lovely, in, yeah. it had gear. Yeah. And I was like, "This is ridiculous." And yeah. that tournament where Kenny was there, Kenny Walton, Kim Stones. You, I'm sure you were there, Mark. One of you two were there. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I remember I was there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, and the crack was unbelievable. You oh, just yeah, from the minute fun. you went there, great fun, Dave yeah. was ripping into everybody. It was just <laughs> the greatest experience. And after that, I was never going to look back. And I fought probably another year still doing WTF and still doing well. But in the end, I just thought, now this is you know, the internationals. <laughs> ITF circuit was going to be my thing. Yeah. Well, let, 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 let me, um, I'm going to stop you there, guys, because uh, um, we, we, we've come to the end of this one. Um, but uh, the people that listen to this, you'll be glad to know that we're going to be doing a part two. So um, make sure, make sure, make sure you, you're listening because we, we're now into the, uh, the TAGV days of uh, Mr. Ralph Middott and um, ourselves as well, where, um, you know, we all had a good time. And uh, as he just alluded, to you know they were fantastic days and it wasn't about the tournament it was always about the friendships um that's really what it was about but i just want to say thank you uh master o uh, thank you uh, master Minot, for 
Uh, yeah, great. Taking, great taking the time, and uh, we'll see you in part two. Thank you. Great catch up. Great yeah, catch up. Yeah, lovely, Ralph. Well done, buddy.